So if you've got your YouVersion app open or, or you've got your, your notes open, let's just go ahead and jump into that. Because we have the power of choice, and as choosers, God desires us to choose life. He wants us to win. He wants our lives to, to have a win in, the, in that column for us. He wants us to, to, to not end up in death. See, Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children can live. Dads, we choose life, not just for ourselves, but for those that are coming behind us, for our kids as well. We have to have a generational mindset if we're really going to embrace this. See, God wanted this so much for us that that was part of the purpose of him disconnecting in the heavenly realms from his son, sending him here into, in a physical body and sending him here for us. He wants life for us that bad. And we see that in John 10, 10, that the thief does not come except, except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And last week we talked about the fact that if we're going to embrace wisdom, wisdom is God's grace for us to make good decisions, for us to choose right. God's grace comes in and pushes all of the other mess aside, all of the stuff that the world and, and our own desires try to, try to muddy the waters and make it hard for us to make good decisions. Grace comes in and brings wisdom with it. And it cuts through all that and helps us to make a good decision. And we ultimately saw that Jesus is grace for us. Jesus is wisdom for us. Jesus is everything embodied for us. That is what we, <clears throat> that is what we understand. Jesus came so we could have it and have it more abundantly. In fact, Jesus came to teach us a new way of life. And that's why we begin, should begin to model and look at Jesus. That's why we are called Christians. We're ones who are following Christ. There's a lot of people who that, that phrase, Christian, has kind of got a bad connotation. So lately people have kind of been parking that and saying, well, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Jesus follower. I'm one that's not just going to wear this badge of what church do I go to. I actually am making a decision. I'm going to follow him and I'm going to emulate him. That that's what I want for my life. And we begin to do that, then our, it will impact our choices because we'll begin to think more like Jesus. We all remember the bracelets from, and it became trite of WWJD, but that was a, a point. What would Jesus do? Let's get into, try to get into Jesus' mindset and let's make a decision from that perspective. And the cool thing is, is the more we spend time, that's why I love it that, that this is about relationship and not about simple religion. It's about spending time with God. He's given us the Holy Spirit to live within us and to guide us and to teach us in all things. Because then, as we spend time, all of a sudden we begin to then take that on. It's amazing how there are things that we begin to spend time together and it, we begin to just connect. I see it with my kids. There are things that I notice that my kids are do things that they see me do. One of the things, even with spouses, it's funny when spouses start rubbing off on each other. My wife is convinced I have not rubbed off on her at all. 
And so, so that my Father's Day will be a happy Father's Day. I won't point out any places where maybe I've had any influence. And uh, I, I do think I'm a big boy. And uh, I am today. It's Father's Day. You have to be nice to me. And uh, in fact, we'll call it, fa- we'll call it Father's Month. Ha ha. You're the one started this. You're the one started this. That's it. Anyways, uh, but my, my grandfather, and I, y- y'all know I love telling stories on my papa. My, I had two strong male, male influences in my life growing up. Obviously, my dad, and I, I give him props. My dad was awesome, and I, I love him. But my other one was, was my grandpa, my, my mom's dad. And we would go and spend lots of time with them on uh, the summertime. And I would go and, and spend time with him on the golf course. And I just saw the way he treated people and connected with people. And people just mattered. And, and I, that's why I tell stories on my papa all the time. And, um, but one of, my, one of my favorite little stories I tell on my papa is that uh, we'd always ask him to tell stories. Always ask him to tell stories. And they'd tell us all these. That's why I know all these stories so well. Because I've, he's told them to me at request multiple times. Well, one day I would, we were, I was, we were t- sitting around talking, and he begins to tell a story. And he talked about how, of course, back way back when, they didn't everybody have their own room, like kids expect to have their own room nowadays. And that then they didn't even have their own bed. They had to pile into one bed. So him and his brothers, he's telling this story, how they had to share a bed, all three of them. And that he ended up having to sleep in the middle. And he talked about how the cold nights that they would grab, one would grab one side of the blanket and grab it and curl over. And the other one grabbed the other side of the blanket and curl over. And it would pull tight. And the cold air would come in around him. So he's telling this story. And I'm sitting there, my little wheels are turning. And all of a sudden my meemaw pops up and she says, Joe, that's my story. That happened to me. And he's like, oh yeah, mama. That was you. But he had heard it so many times and he had lived it with her that it had become a part of his own identity. It had become, it is something that, that was, took from her life that became a part of his life. That is the thing that when we connect with Christ, we talk about Christ alive in us, his truth but now becomes ours. It becomes our truth. His, his, his life, his strength, all of those, we don't just get to talk about our Jesus doing all this cool stuff like we're some sort of spectator on the outside. He's alive on the inside of us. We get to take ownership of those stories. We get to take ownership of those truths. And it should begin to change the way we make decisions. It should begin to change our chooser. In fact, every aspect of our life shifts from being messed up, from being a state of being just messed up, to being made right by trusting Him, by trusting God. That's why we talk about it all the time. Celebration Church's purpose is to help people to know God better and trust Him more. If you've been through our newcomers class, you've heard this scripture over and over from the message translation, and you're going to hear it again right now. Romans 1.17. I love the way the message translation puts this. God's way of putting people right shows up in acts of faith, confirming what the Scripture has said all along, the person in right standing before God by trusting Him really lives. That's where real life is. This abundant life that Jesus came to give us, 
it gets released into our lives. We get Jesus' abundant life released into ours as we trust Him. As we trust Him. You want new life in the area of your relationships? Begin to embrace and, and take God seriously on what He has to say on the area of relationships. Well, man, God wants me to forgive. Well, then forgive. But it's hard. They hurt me. You don't know what they did. Well, you're not going to see it changed until you begin to follow what he has to say. You want to see God shift the area of your finances. You're going to have to begin to trust God on that front. You've got to see God <clears throat> change the area of the, your dynamic with your children. You've got to begin to trust God on that front. Any area. You begin to trust God, and that's what this big churchy word discipleship is all about. Is we begin to trust God on more and more fronts. Okay, God, your way is right. My way, the world's way, everybody else's way doesn't produce the results. Your way works. And we begin to trust Him. And one of our great, great Bible <clears throat> examples of this is Abraham. And we're going to spend a lot of time with Abraham this morning maybe you know abraham's story front to back maybe you're new to abraham but I, I really think that we can learn a lot from a guy that the bible refers to as father abraham and let's look at romans we're going to start in the new testament and then we're going to spend a lot of time in the old testament because that's where the story lies but romans 4 1 through 3 says what then shall we say that abraham our forefather according to the flesh discovered in this manner if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, righteousness is, can be this, this, this big, scary word. Ooh, righteousness. It sounds like this word that the... That the, the, the church world that kind of bothers us, the people that come off hypocrite-wise, stuff that rubs us wrong, say, so, well, that, that just isn't righteous. And, and then we say, well, man, you're self-righteous. And, and these are words we just don't like. We don't put them in our daily vocabulary. But righteous, it's a good word. It's a good word because it simply, it simply means that things are right by God's standard. That when you look at it through God's lens, and remember, he created everything. So he's the one that knows if things are right or not. He's the one that knows if things are lined up and working the way they should. And all that righteousness is, it simply means things are right by God's standards. Things are restored to a state of goodness. Remember in Genesis 1 that he's creating, and then at the end of a day, he's, it's, he sees that it's good. And it was complete. It was good. It was righteous. It was right. Then he goes on the next day. He has another day and another bit of creation. And some more comes about. And who knows. But during that process. He doesn't stop. Until it's good. Until it's right. We see this day after day. Until finally on the sixth day. Humanity's been created. He's added his masterpiece. You and I are the masterpiece of creation. Believe it or not. We are. And he says it's very good. God's restorative work, what he is trying to do in our lives is bring us back to that place and bring that very good 
back to you and I. And we, at, we only get there by trusting him. And Abraham, he didn't work towards it. Re- religion says you've got to work towards it. You've got to do this and do this and do that. I was talking with a, a guy earlier this week. And so many people see grace as a do-over. Like you blew it, you messed it up, you made all these bad decisions and you went this direction and you just messed up your life and you now get some grace so you can come back over here and do better. Some people think that that's grace. No. Because then you're still back in the place of having to do. You're still back in the place of having to do. Grace isn't a do-over, it's a be-over. That's why we are new creations in Christ. Grace isn't a do-over, it's a be-over. You get to be something different. You get to have Christ alive on the inside of you. And now decisions are changed because you yourself are different. There's something there. And that is what happens. We allow Him to begin to work in our lives. And we have to be willing to look and press forward. See, Galatians 3, 5 through 9 says, So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? See, Abraham believed it well before it ever showed up and it was counted to him as righteousness right then. And we're going to look at that some more in a minute. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as being made right it wasn't made right yet but it was credited that it was going to be made right understand then that those who have faith are children of abraham scripture foresaw that god would justify the gentiles it was forward looking by faith and announced the gospel in advance to abraham all nations will be blessed through you so that those who rely on faith are blessed with believing Abraham, the man of faith. Now, I can't think about, about something like this in Father's Day without ha- sharing a story I've shared with y'all multiple times. But my great-great-grandfather, my papa that I tell stories on, it's his papa, it's his grandfather, that it was the year was around 1915, and my great-grandfather was about five years old. And they were, he had siblings, they lived on a farm, had a barn, wooden floor, crawl space under it. The whole area, their barn got infested with rats. They just couldn't afford to lose a crop to rats. Just family could not afford to lose that. Something had to be done. So, of course, this is the era before safe chemicals and all of these different things. Sometimes in West Texas, we can wag our finger at governmental regulations but there's some good ones out there and and uh, these were before some uh, some 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 good stuff was done to help chemicals be done better and he went and bought some poison to kill the rats so he takes the poison and he crawls up under the crawl space to to put it out under the under the barn and sets it all out under the barn and west texas wind kicks up and blows all of that poison into his face blows all this dust in and he breathes it in well he ends up from that being poisoned and getting uh double pneumonia he's sitting there and having to uh live in a chair sitting upright he couldn't lay down it would just gurgle 
And, of course, hospitals weren't what they are now. And something that could have been treated in today's days could not be treated then. And as he things progressed, he saw and he knew that his time was done. But here he is. He's a dad to these small kids and has a farm and has a, a wife that life has to go on. And I can... Uh, I can never tell the story without getting choked up. And, uh, of course, <clears throat> I don't come around for a long time. But he knows that, <clears throat> that those kids need a dad. And their dad is on the way out. He's passing away. So he calls all his family in. He's sitting in his chair. Uh, my grandfather, my great-grandfather told me this story years ago. I tried right before he died to get it recorded. He started it and he never could. He just sobbed and sobbed. He couldn't get through it. And talked about calling his family in. And he's five years old and he remembers leaning on the, the, the post of the bed as his dad begins to, to pray over his kids and begin to pray over his mom and begins to pray for a new dad, for God to bring in a stepdad that God would bring in that would love his kids like he would love them and would raise them and begins to speak in and pray over the generations to come and lays hands and prays over his kids. And a couple of days later, he passes away. And just a couple of years after that, God brings along a man, falls in love with my great-great-grandmother, and loves my great-grandfather and all his siblings like their very own. Disciples them and raises them up. <clears throat> and my great-grand-grandfather prayed. Not just for them, but my, <clears throat> my <clears throat> Papa Noble said that he prayed for the generations to come. That, uh, that we would come. Before I ever was even thought of on an earthly level. This man was using his dying breath to pay for me. And my kids and their kids and reaching out into the generations. Folks, that's faith. Folks, that's having a bigger picture. That's understanding that God sets members and families. God understands that, that, that fatherhood is more about your heart connection than it is a bloodline. Maybe there today some of you are stepdads in this room. I know there are a bunch of you are. Guess what? Jesus was raised by a stepdad. A God-picked, God-anointed stepdad. There was a stepdad that showed up decades ago in my family tree that blessed my family. You can step in and you can be anointed to be a dad in that role, whether they have your blood coursing through their veins or not. Embrace that today. <clears throat> Own that today. It changes everything. See, <clears throat> God's desire for... <clears throat> God's desire for us to trust Him to make things right is not only for our own good. Yes, it's for our good. Yes, it is. Your good choices bless you. But guys, it reaches further than that. It's for the good of the generations to come. It's for, it carries forward and it has this incredible weight. And how sad is it for us to be wrapped up in our own lives that as long as it's cool in my day, that I don't really care about what happens tomorrow or the next generations to come. There's a king, Hezekiah, that's recorded in Isaiah 39. 
And Isaiah presents him some bad news. This guy makes a bad decision and he lets the enemy in and he parades them and he shows them everything. He's full of pride. He lets the enemy in and he shows them everything. And this Isaiah presents the word of the Lord. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your predecessors have stored up. All your, everything your forefathers have done. Because of your decision. The time is going to come. Stored up to this day will be carried off to Babylon and nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And the word of the Lord, and here is Hezekiah's response. Oh my gosh! You just want to reach through. You just want to reach through the scriptures and and just want to choke him. You're like, what? Here it is. It says, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. What? Hezekiah said, the word of the Lord you've spoken is good. For he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. Oh my gosh. Seriously? Seriously? Sadly, I think we're living in a, gener- in a generation that thinks more like Hezekiah. That thinks more like guys that say, you know what, we'll do what we need to do so that it's better for generations to come. See, generation, <clears throat> Genesis 12, and we may have to skip over some of this stuff for, <clears throat> for sake of time. I've given you all the scriptures there to lay out the case. But Genesis 12, we're going to go ahead and read it. <clears throat> 12, one says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. All the people of the earth are going to be blessed through you. All of them. All of them is what is this promise here. And here he says this here in Genesis 12. This is after he has, he leaves. And we find out that he's 75 years old. He uproots at 75 years old and follows God. How incredible it is. And God tells him that, that he's going to turn him into a nation here. Tells him, first time, right here. Then we're going to jump down to Genesis 13. The, word, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had departed from him. By this point, Abram, the Bible says, is wealthy. He's, he's really wealthy. But there's still some pieces that aren't quite right in Abram's life. The Lord said to Abram, Abram, after Lot had departed from him, look around you from where you are, the north, the south, the east, and the west, and all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. I'm going to give you a ton, a ton of descendants. Well, Genesis 11 reveals a problem. They can't, him and Sarah can't have kids. They're, she's barren. It's just not working. But God's still speaking this. This is the second time. Your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth. That's a ton of, a ton of descendants. Let's do, finally... Time number three, Genesis 15. 
verses 1 through 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Every time it's the word of the Lord coming to him. Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what shall you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children. And so a servant in my household will be my heir. Abram says, I want. You've promised me that I'll be a dad. My name, Abram, means father. I want to be a dad. I want this, God. I want this. And then the word of the Lord said to him, The man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, Look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Third time. And hear this scripture that gets quoted over and over again in the New Testament. Shows up. That Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Why did he not believe God on that level in chapter 12? I don't know. In 13? I don't know. But in 15? He has a heart-to-heart conversation. And God tells him, reminds him once again. I'm going to do it. And he's like, I believe you. I believe you. It's still a long time before his son is born. But eventually, his son is born. He goes through a period. It's after he believes God that then he ends up doing the thing and and having a, a kid with Sarah's servant at Sarah's request. It's after he's believed God. It's after he's believed God that he has his mess-ups in this area. But he has still believed God. And then finally, we see here that he gets confronted with it one more time in Genesis 17. He's already believed God and has accounted to him as righteousness. And it says, And God said to Abram, As for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Sarah, You are to call her Sarah. I will bless her. And will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from, from her. And Abraham fell face down. And worshipped. And said finally. Woohoo. Everything I've been believing this whole time. Has an awesome faith filled response. He's already believed God in chapter 15. He's already believed God earlier and has counted him as righteousness. Abraham falls face down and laughed. He's having his moment of doubt. He's having his place. He's laughed. And this happens after he's believed. And Abraham fell face down and he laughed and he said to him, Will a son be born to a man to a, to a hundred years old? He's 99 now when he's saying this. If she get, got pregnant that night, Nine months later, he'd be 100 years old. 100 years old. Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael, this guy that I, this, this son that I had when I decided to do it on my own, just let him live under your blessing. And then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And you will call him Isaac. And he will establish my covenant. And with him be and with him an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. 
think it's funny that the first time we find out that his name is going to be Isaac is after Abraham laughs. Because you know what Isaac means? Laughter. Named him that. Named him laughter. Sarah, later on, overhears this conversation. Sarah laughs. Whatever. It's so far beyond, it doesn't even get her excited. It's just like, yeah, that's funny. I'm 90, I'm going to finally have a kid. (laughs) Whatever, God. But when he was born, Abraham was 100 years old, Genesis 21, when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. God will bring about that thing that he promised. See, Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's something God's been talking to you about multiple times. God's brought this up. You're like, all right, cool, God. Maybe even made a move. Maybe even made something. Genesis 12, Abraham uproots and makes a move. But it took him three times for him to finally really, all right, God, you're really going to do this. And even after that, had his moments of doubt and tried to do it on his own. But God is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. And he does it as we trust in him. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be without some, some <clears throat> issues along the way. But the end result, our promise from Romans, it will overflow, overflow with joy, overflow with hope. That's what God wants for us. He doesn't give us these promises. He doesn't stir us up. He doesn't give us vision for life to frustrate us, even though it doesn't come on our timetable. This morning, I want to just challenge you. There's something that you've thought about. God's brought it to your mind. Maybe you buried it, and it was years ago when he's brought it to your mind. It is never, never, never too late. Never too late for you to say yes to what God has for you the whole time. Never. Never. Say, well, I ignored that. God said that once. He said it again. I've ignored it. I've ignored it. Maybe he's saying it again. Believe him. And you'll begin to see God move and make that area right. Make that area very good. Put that thing the way it's supposed to be. You should have hope. It makes all the difference in the world. See, God desires to take each of us forward with him. And this forward growth happens choice by choice. So let's choose to follow him. And choose life. That's what makes the difference. So this morning what we want to do is create an opportunity. That if you're away from God. If you have not said yes to the grace. Again not a do over. A be over. Allow new life. To live in you. Because you've placed your faith in Christ. and Christ alone. I'm not asking you to make a decision to try harder. I'm not asking you to make a decision to to make another good religious run at it. 
I'm asking you to place your faith in Christ. That if you'll believe him, that it's credited to us as righteousness and believe that he's going to make your life very good. His definition of good. That there's hope and life and eternity found only in Christ. I'd appreciate if everybody would bow your heads and create a quiet moment. If that's you, if that's you, then I want you to just lift your hand and we won't pray with you.